Hello, this is Kevin Kersey of the Kevin Kersey Agency. The Kevin Kersey Insurance Agency, a member of the Farmers Insurance Group, can help with home, life, auto, or business needs. Phone number is 317-286-3481. We can also be found on Facebook at the Kevin Kersey Agency or at our website, www.farmersagent.com forward slash kkersey. Walk-ins are always welcome at 480 East Northfield Drive, Suite 300 in Brownsburg. The Kevin Kersey Agency presents Central Indiana Today on WYRZ. Welcome to Central Indiana Today. My name is Shane Ray, of course, filling in for Nicole Kendall. And in the studio with me, I have a returning guest. He's been here. uh, You know what? Uh, You started out, you were on the old XRB, Community Focus, at one time. That's right. And then you've been on with Rob once or twice anyway. And so now you're kind of returning to the newly redone studios. It's Mr. Gary Varvel. How is Gary today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Shane. Good. Glad to hear it. Hey, uh, I, I always have my notes to introduce the person, and then I fill in what they do or whatever. Mm-hmm. How do you describe yourself? I'm the editorial cartoonist for the Indianapolis Star and Creator Syndicate, and I'm adding to my resume. <laughs> I'm now also a columnist. Right, exactly, and yeah. that's we're going to get into that a little bit. Let's remind everyone a little bit about your history. Uh, you're from right here in Hendricks County, right? I'm a Hoosier born and bred, graduated from Danville High School in 1975. Uh, first job that I had in journalism was working for a weekly newspaper in Brownsburg, Indiana, which is now my home for the last uh, 19 years. Yeah. And I've uh, been working at the Indianapolis, first the News and then the Star, since 1978. Became the cartoonist for the Indianapolis Star in 1994. Now, that makes you kind of a Old. veteran. It makes me... <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. I'm a fossil. <laughs> <laughs> but that does make you probably... Like, when you go in there, you're one of the guys... Uh, there's probably not too many in there that you can recollect from the early, early, oh, no, early no. days with. I'm the, I'm the last. I, when I was uh, I was 21 when I started working at the newspaper, and it seemed like about the average age of the newsroom was about 50, I think. And <laughs> now the average age of the newsroom is about 35. And wow. I'm 60, so I'm I'm the old guy. <laughs> yeah. Now going from writing the columns to doing the the cartoons, how did that come about? Uh, you know, I made my whole career just drawing, and every once in a while I would I would write something, but maybe once a year. And my editor came to me just a few months ago and said, "We'd like you to consider writing a, a conservative column." Uh-huh. The, you know, the the idea is that there's a audience out there that is maybe untapped, and um. So what I was willing to, to give it a shot. It's one of the things I've learned in my career is you got to be able to adapt and, and try new things, try different things. Yeah. And it's not like I don't have opinions. I've been in opinion journalism most of my career. But uh, writing a column is a lot different than doing an editorial cartoon. Uh, drawing a, a political cartoon, I'm trying to condense things down into the simplest form to really capture the the idea with an image as opposed to now, writing a column where you're using words and and arguments, and you're 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 able to flesh things out. So I've you know I've been doing it a short time, but I've really enjoyed it. Now I've been reading 
columns for a long time, for years and years. Mm-hmm. So I think I have a little bit of idea how to put one together. Uh, it's just now that when you sit down to do it, um, and it takes me, I don't know, three or four hours to to condense something down to, to make it make sense, I guess. And right. So it's been fun. It's been... Um, it's been a challenge, and the audience has been um, surprisingly supportive. Uh, the first big column that I did on the Las Vegas shooter, um, we got like 100,000 page views from that, and I got like a, almost, I think it was about 80 emails, and about 70 of them were positive. You know, I got some negative pushback. You're always going to sure. get that. Um, so, it, but it told me that, Hey, and a lot of people said, look, there, you're speaking to me. That's finally somebody's voicing what I've been thinking. And that's an, you know, it's kind of a, it's a rewarding thing to see that happen. We, we have all these issues out there and we just see things differently. In fact, I'm working on a column about, uh, how why it is that people are left and right mm-hmm. and we can't see one another the way what ends up happening if you're watching cable news especially we start kind of demonizing one another and i've i've got good friends who are, are to the left of me politically mm-hmm. and i love them we get along i mean we don't agree on politics but there's look we're all human beings sure and just because somebody doesn't see things the way I do doesn't mean that they're my enemy. Right. Uh, we just happen to have a, a, we just happen to see things a little differently, and and that's just the way it is in life. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Now, let me back up a little, uh, and I'll try to do this in the order. I've been thinking of some things while you've been talking. Sure. One is the left and right. You have left and right friends. Mm-hmm. You like them both equally most of the time. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like most that that's probably true everywhere? And I'll go ahead and start that off by saying that at least that's what I think. It's the social media and or the news media that seems to want to put the extremists under the, the under the the uh, magnifying glass mm-hmm. and say, well, this is how everybody is. I have left and right on both sides. I like them equally, but it's like the the a lot of the news media make you think, well, then you're the one who's abnormal. Well, it's more entertaining if you have somebody who's a flamethrower, right? And so those people tend to get the attention. Now. Uh, I think that most people that that I would consider to the left of me aren't angry about it all the time. The other thing yeah. is I don't take myself too seriously. So uh, people can say uh, nasty things about me and it doesn't really affect me. Now, when I was younger, that would bother me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's normally everybody wants to be liked. And it bothers them when they, they're not liked. But... Right. Uh, I think there comes a point in life that you just realize, I can't please everyone, and sure. there's no use losing sleep over. Exactly. It. Yeah, you can't. In fact, if you're trying to if you're trying to please everybody, you're not going to make anybody happy. Right. So I, I you have to be true to yourself, um, true to your ideals. And you know, for a long time, when I was younger, I didn't know what my ideals were. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked about this many times in the past, but I had. One of those uh, interviews that uh, was, I it was eye opening for me. 
And I was sitting down with this editor at the Columbus Dispatch, and he looked at my work and he said, can I be honest with you? Which is never good. <laughs> and he said, you draw better than most of the people who do this for a living, but I don't detect any fire in the belly in you. I don't know what you're passionate about because it doesn't come through your work. And he was absolutely right because I really didn't know what I thought about a lot of the stuff that I was trying to draw about. So that began uh, a real education, self-education. Uh, there's no schools for editorial cartooning. There's no handbook on this is how you put together a cartoon and this is how the ideology fits into the whole message. That you, I had to figure that out on my own. But the, I would say that the main thing that I did is when I took a look at the issues in the world, who am I to decide what's right and wrong? Right. So I went back to the owner's manual. So that's why I went to the Bible and started reading the Bible every day. Mm-hmm. And this would have been in the mid-'80s. And throughout, you know, year after year, it, it started changing the way I saw the world. And so I, I've been given the freedom to write from that perspective. A lot of the issues that uh, the world wrestles with today are addressed in the Bible, mm-hmm. in principle. You know, they didn't have the Internet, so the, you're not going to find the Internet mentioned in the Bible. You're not going <laughs> to find a lot of that stuff. But there are principles of life, you know, love one another, treat each other as you want them to treat you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, for instance, where does evil come from? Jesus said evil comes from the heart, murders, all kinds of things. But it it comes from a person's heart. Mm-hmm. That makes it tough to police because you can't see what's in people's hearts until they act on what is in their heart. Right. So, like, you know, the the Las Vegas shooter, for instance, um, obviously something was terribly wrong on the inside of him. And everybody's still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. What, what would cause a guy to do such a thing? Well, the guns didn't make him do it. He Those were just a, a tool that he used to kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... When you're wrestling with these ideas and you have people on the left saying, well, we need, we need more laws, we need more controls, what law would he have obeyed when he already broke a whole bunch of laws? Sure. Like we have laws against murder. He broke that one big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know that that is a solution. It makes us feel good, makes us feel like we're really doing something. And the other thing that's bothered me for a long time in in just watching the world and how the world works is that we all wish that we lived in a utopia, but this world is not a utopia. And you can't make it be that Mm -hmm. because people are sinful. That's the bottom line. We're all kind of messed up. And so what happens is I find a lot of the people on the left of me they want government to be God and make uh, and make everything and, and fix everything, level the playing field and do all of that. And I just don't think that government is equipped to be a God. Uh, and people are not going to obey that anyway. So there has to be, I, I see a bigger picture here. Um, and I realize that people don't agree with me on that. And that's fine. I, they don't. I'm not gonna. I, there's no way. I don't want them to even be forced to try to agree with me on that. Right. It's something that we persuade one another with our own arguments. But at the end of the day, everybody has to make their own decision. Do you find, uh, since you you're kind of touching on the subject, the um, 
when did you, I, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, when did you feel like that some of your your artwork in these publications were were sparking heavy duty controversy. Did that start with the internet, or did long long before no, that? Did long, you start? As soon okay. as I stepped into the seat at the Indianapolis Star, <laughs> okay. Uh, except back then, they, they would get you on the phone, or right. they'd re- mail you a letter. Sure. So a few days later, you get a letter. And but I, I I had some people who would call me like every other day and. And that I was actually glad when the internet came along because I didn't have to feel those calls anymore. Those people didn't call, and and uh, sometimes you know they'd leave a voicemail message, and uh, I was liked that. But and then also you would get calls that were just the opposite. I did a cartoon on embryonic stem cell stem cell research one time, mm-hmm. and. Um, I'm pro-life, and my cartoon is pro-life. And so a couple of days after my cartoon ran, uh, I got a phone call. I answered the phone. The guy says, oh, I didn't think you'd answer the phone. I thought I'd talk to your (laughs) voicemail. I said, no, you got me. He said, I live in Washington, D.C. I saw your cartoon on embryonic stem cell research in the Washington Times. And he said, I wanted to talk to you about this issue because I have Parkinson's disease. And I thought, oh, boy. Yeah. Because those people had been told that you know this could possibly cure Parkinson's d- disease, although there was no evidence, and even in the testing that they've done, it hasn't panned out. But and so I thought this is going to be a bad conversation. But then he turned around and said, uh, "Can I use your cartoon to talk to people about this issue? Because I don't want to be the guy in your cartoon that has to explain to a child why my life was more important than theirs. Mm -hmm. So the cartoon was, uh, I had like this cloud in heaven, had this guy and this baby looking over the clouds downward. And the the guy says, I died waiting for embryonic stem cell research to find a cure. What about you? And the kid said, I was the child that died Mm -hmm. so that you could, so they could do the research. And Mm. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to make copies of that cartoon and take it to uh, the, the Congress and just slide it under the congressman's door. He said, I want them to see that this, this is what we're talking about. We're, we're taking a life to try to save a different life. Mm-hmm. And I said, absolutely, make as many copies as you like. But, you know, back then it showed me the power of the visual, the, the power that a cartoon has to move people to do those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the same token, uh, the written word can have that kind of power, too. Um, you're able sometimes to explain things with words that you can't really uh, get across with a cartoon. I think it takes both. I think cartooning has is, is, uh, been such a, an important form uh, of communication for so long, and I'd hate to see it go away. But the fact is... That since ni- uh, since 2005, over 50 editorial cartoonists have lost their jobs. And today, there's less than 30 um, people like me uh, doing what I do f- full-time for a, a newspaper or um, a news organization. Uh, and it's just been... It's been it's become a luxury that most publications can't afford to pay a person to do that. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's terrible. I, and going forward, um, I hate to see a future when you don't have people doing that. Now, I think there are a lot of cartoonists out there who just love to draw. It's just I don't know if there's going to be 
a, a job to support them so that they can focus on that all the time. I've had the luxury in, since 94 of focusing on it every day, you know, taking the time to do the research, to think these things through, to come up with the drawings and, and do it to the best of my ability and create pieces of art that speak to the bigger issues. And, and it, you know, I'm trying to persuade people to my opinion, but uh, a lot of times what we're doing is we're just we're throwing something out there to get people talking about this. We'll be back with more of our interview with Gary Varvel right after this. The new Plainfield UPS is now hiring part-time package handlers and part-time supervisors for three different shifts, morning, evening, and late night. A weekly retention bonus, pension, benefits, and college tuition reimbursements are available for part-time UPS employees. More information on available positions, online applications, and scheduling an interview can be found at www.upsjobs.com. Now, you just said something kind of revealing. Uh, you are trying to persuade people sure. to think of your... Uh, and you don't make any... You're not masking your faith at all in your cartoons no. that I get. No, and I, that's who I am. Have you ever been asked not to? Not by my editors, no. Okay. No, no, by some readers. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> some of the readers, don't. they don't like it. They get uncomfortable with it. Uh, and, you know, you don't have to read it. Yeah. You can turn the page or, you know, scroll to another side. I mean, I'm not forcing you to see it, mm-hmm. but this is who I am. And other people draw stuff and write stuff I don't like. But I'm not telling them that they can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, in uh, was it 2015, Charlie Ebdo. Yes. And we had four cartoonists who were killed over there. Mm-hmm. Now, that was tragic. Those guys, I defend what they do, but they did cartoons that offend me. Sure. I'm a Christian. They would they would make fun of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. But I don't want somebody or a government passing a law saying that they can't do that because where do you start drawing the line? At some point, it comes back to me, and then they say, well, you can't draw that either. Yeah. So I would rather, okay, people, let's just open up the marketplace of ideas. You guys do what you want to do, and if you have an audience for that, fine, and then I'm going to do have the freedom to do what I do. And we'll see who persuades who to what opinion. You know, I, I'm... So I, it's not that I think that I've got, it's not that I think that the the country has to be Christian. That'd be great, mm-hmm. but I don't want the government passing a law for that. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it works. Right. So what I do is I say what I th- think, and uh, and then we have a dialogue. That's one of the nice things about the internet is people can dialogue. Now when people get abusive, I bathe them with silence. <laughs> I don't respond to people who are mean and nasty because you have to earn a conversation with somebody. And if you insult them, well, you've lost that that opportunity and that right. I, I don't, I don't, not obligated to talk to people if they're going to be that way. But I, I got um, an email from uh, a person who said that they were an atheist. And they were offended by my use of, of some Bible verses in, in a column that I wrote. And then said that the reason they became an atheist is because of all the evil in the world. So I, 
I responded kindly to her because she was kind to me. Mm-hmm. She just was explaining herself, and so I, I wrote back. But, but I locked that in the back of my mind, and so in a recent column, I thought, I need to address this. So I pointed out that I heard from, from some atheists, and they said they don't believe in God because the world's messed up. And I, I had heard this illustration a long time ago about a barber was cutting a guy's hair. They got into a discussion, and the barber said, I don't believe God exists because the world's in such a mess. And after the guy finished getting his hair cut and he paid the barber, he says, I don't believe that barbers exist. He says, well, that's ridiculous. I'm standing right in front of you. He goes, no. He said, you see the uh, homeless guy across the street? He's real hair's long and beard's matted and he's dirty. And if there were barbers, that guy wouldn't look that way. And the barber says, well, he looks that way because he hasn't come to see me. Mm-hmm. And the man said, exactly. If people would turn to God, the world wouldn't look like it does. Mm-hmm. And so they're on their own. They've chosen to go on their own. So uh, to me, that the argument that the world's messed up, therefore there's no God, doesn't, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't, that's not a good argument for me. I can understand why people would think that. I just have a different opinion. And it comes from personal experience as well. But I'm also talking from a perspective of I've read the Bible, and I continue to read the Bible because I keep learning more from what it has to say. And there's no, there's no book ever written that predicts the future, and it comes true, other than the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it, it is, I'm convinced that it's true. And that there is God. I don't think that this all just happened. Uh, so that gets into a whole bunch of other areas that I'm not even sure you want to get into. But So those things are part of who I have become over my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So when I'm writing, I'm writing from a perspective of this is what makes sense to me. And some people see it and they go, that is what I've thought too. You know, it, it's the, to them, it's common sense. And then to people who are on the other side, they say, this is nonsense. You know, Varvel's an idiot, and he shouldn't even be employed. You know, he's not worth listening to. Mm-hmm. You don't have to listen to me. No one's making you. No. But there is an audience out there, and you can't deny it, of people who uh, have some faith, some form of faith, and they see the world a little differently. I, I had a great conversation with a, a cartoonist years ago, and he... He couldn't understand how I could uh, think the way I do and not and and be nice at the same time. Mm-hmm. So here's the here's what we've done for each other. We've caricatured one another that we don't agree with as being evil or mean or nasty and and then I think that 24-hour cable news that plays it plays into that. Mm-hmm. So I I reject that. I think that we can have a conversation about these issues without being angry with one another. Now, the new article you have just written, yeah, you are talking about Dan Brown, who is the author of um, uh, the, da the Da Vinci Code. Code. Mm-hmm. Thank you, and uh, he uh, he's got a new one out called Origin. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what well, I saw, what you had to say I, about I that. I read about an interview he did promoting his book, Origin, and he was in Germany. And he said some things that I thought were way, uh, to me, way off. Uh, he says that 
can like for instance one of the quotes is can can god survive science mm-hmm. well that's silly uh god created science uh you, you know science is us discovering what he did and put it all together but it, Dan, Dan Brown's uh, idea is that uh, artificial intelligence is going to get so advanced that in the future there will be this collective consciousness worldwide, and that, that will become divine, and people won't need God because they, they won't need a God that's up there judging people. Uh, they will create their own, you know, through this consciousness with everybody else. I think it's a bunch of hooey, but fine if you want to do that. So I just, I, as I'm reading through it and I'm seeing his quotes, he, like for instance, he says that he thinks a lot of the religions are pretty much the same and that in a hundred years will anybody need it? Well, religion's been around for thousands of years. And mm-hmm. so why, why in the next hundred years does he think that this, everybody's going to get disinterested? Now, he could be right. I don't know what the future is. I will say this. Uh, you know, when Jesus was on the earth 2,000 years ago, he did say this, when I come again, will I find faith on the earth? So he did pose the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's something that we'd have to think about. But what I did was I took that, his quotes, and then just kind of went through and kind of dissected a little bit so people can... And I'm asking him questions. Mm-hmm. And the big question that I, I, I want to ask him is uh, is ask him to consider that every human being has an expiration date. And that when our day comes, I don't think collective consciousness is going to help you. And so I'm suggesting that he read uh, an all-time bestseller. It's a book called The Bible. <laughs> and in it, it offers the one and only hope for mankind. And so... <sighs> Uh, you know, I would like for him to take a look at that. Yeah. You know, I didn't go see the Da Vinci Code, mm-hmm. and um, but uh, it, it seems like he's got a real problem with the Catholic Church for some reason, <laughs> and I don't know what the deal is there, and I'm not Catholic. But uh, this, I just thought, okay, you've gone a little bit over the line. And I know that he's writing fiction, and I know a lot of people uh, understand that it's fiction, but some people may think... Like, maybe Christianity, maybe that's a made-up religion because of the whole Da Vinci Code thing. And then when he starts going off into this area and questioning God, um, and his main thing is that he doesn't think humanity needs God. Uh, I think he's wrong. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you look at the societies in history that were godless societies like the communist Soviet Union— how many people were killed under a godless regime like that? Mm-hmm. Hundreds of millions. Uh, Stalin alone killed like 30 million of his own people. That's right. a godless society. I don't think we want that. I think mm-hmm. I, in fact, I think even some of the religions that I don't agree with seem to have a premise of let's treat one another as we, as you want them to treat you, I mean, it it it, it does have a little bit of a civilizing um, quality to it that that helps people be controlled. Was it um, uh, John Adams said that our government was created for a religious and moral people? It's wholly inadequate for the governing of any other. In other words, what he's saying is that if you don't have people that can control themselves on the inside. 
Well, the government can't control them on the outside. Right. I mean, you've got anarchy at that point. Mm-hmm. And so people have to be able to control themselves. What George Washington said was that uh, in, you're not a patriot if you even pose the, the idea that you can have morality without religion. And so when I wrote the, uh, the column about Las Vegas, the Las Vegas shooter, what I was saying was, who makes the guidelines? Who sets the standard? Uh, people may get upset and say, well, I don't go to church and I still am a moral person. You might be, but what is the standard for your morality? Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? And who's to say that down the road we lose whatever the standard is? I'm saying that uh, based on the biblical standard, well, then it's clearly defined. Mm-hmm. And the idea that there is a God who loves you and also one who's going to judge you, I think, and sees you, I think that is um, a purify, has a purifying effect on a society if people have that idea. A few years ago, I know, am I talking too much? No. This is radio. <laughs> so a few years ago, I did a, um, uh, a, na- a graphic novel series called The Path to Hope. Mm-hmm. And I, the the idea of the series was to to uh, tell the stories of children who grew up poor and found their way out of poverty. So, interviewing these people, these different people, I found that there were some similarities on how they got out of poverty and found their way to upward mobility. And one of the main factors is they believed in God. Independent of one another, they had come to a point where they recognized that they're not an accident, that there is a God who loves them, and there's a future and a plan for their lives that gives them hope. When you think that you're an accident, and you think there's nobody out there that cares about me, mm-hmm. it's, you know, dog eat dog and, you know, the, the strong survive, mm-hmm. that becomes hopeless, and and that's where I think a lot of times people uh, in their lives can just start making one mistake after another. You know, I, I taught art school for 14 years at Bethesda Christian School. I would teach there part-time. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I told the students was that when you start a drawing, if you are going along and you make a mistake, let's say you're drawing the human body, and you make a mistake, that mistake leads you to another mistake, which leads to another mistake, and all of a sudden you're, you're drawing is so far off. You need, and so what I would do is I said, ask for help if you're getting off, if things don't look right, and I can come back and pull you back in line. And I equated that as being like prayer. You know, our, our lives get to be a kind of a mess. We ask for help, and God can help us. He will help us to get back on track. But... One mistake leads to the next mistake, and I think that happens in people's lives. They, they start down the road, they make a mistake, and all of a sudden they're way off track. When somebody could come alongside of them and show them, look, this is where you're going. You don't want to go that way. Mm-hmm. This is a better path. I think that's what we need people in society that can help show us that. So bring this back to cartooning and column and, and writing a column. That's what I try to do is I try to say, okay, here's we're going off track here, folks, and this is where we need to get back to. And then the people can decide, okay, I agree or I don't. I don't agree with you. Yeah. Now, as far as the the columns go, now yeah. is this going to be syndicated or is it syndicated? Is it strictly at the Indie Star? No, this is strictly at the Indie Star. Is the hope? That will become syndicated? I don't know what the future of that becomes. I don't know. That's uh, Well, uh, the word hope, though, is different than right. what you know. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the, the future is of it. But so do I, you hope? Oh, uh, you know. Would I, you like that? 
to be for it to be carried in other newspapers just like your cartoon. It's so early. I don't know. Uh, I think if if see with the cartooning thing from the very beginning, from the time I was in high school, I wanted to be a cartoonist. I wanted to be a syndicated cartoonist. I wanted to be you know I wanted millions of people to see my work, and uh, and so those were goals. This, up until a couple of months ago, I never really considered that this was going to be part of my career as being a columnist. Mm-hmm. So it's still new to me. I'm just trying to focus on the next column. And if, uh, you know, I'm syndicated through Creator Syndicate, if they were to say, hey, you know, we're really impressed with what you're doing there. We want to run it. Then, you know, we can we can do that deal, too. If, you know, if they want to sell it and, and pay me more money, I'll take that. But uh, that's that's really not my goal. You know, I've liked the writing thing, and I've written a couple of movie scripts, and uh, I've worked with my son to do that, and I enjoy that. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking that in retirement, that might be a future for me in writing just movie scripts, and uh, and I and I do enjoy that, but I don't know about the column thing going long term. No. I mean, it's I plan on doing it for years, uh, as long as I'm at the Star, but syndication, I'm, I'm, I don't know. There's a lot of columnists out there. Yeah. All right. If uh, folks want to see your cartoons every day. Oh, you got to go to GaryVarvel.com. It's the easiest way to find it. But if you don't think of that, go to IndieStar.com, and then I think it's backslash Varvel. Just look for the opinion page at IndieStar. Or if you scroll down to the bottom of the home page on IndieStar.com, you'll see that uh, I have a, a window there that has my, my work. Uh, also, you can follow me on Facebook at Gary Varvel on Facebook, and I have a fan page and a, a personal page. You can follow me on both, and I'll post my stuff there as well with links. And uh, you, at Twitter, it's at Varvel on Twitter. That's V is in Victor, A-R-V is in, I, I, I should say, V is in Voldemort, A-R-V is in Voldemort, E-L. So, uh, uh, let's see. So, those are the places where you can follow me. As well as the articles. Yes. Okay. And so, uh, and, you know, please go to IndieStar because uh, the, in order for me, if you like what I'm doing, if you like the cartoons, if you like my columns, go to IndieStar because the more page views assures my future there. <laughs> and, you know, the, I was, the, the interesting thing about the newspaper business is it's, it's, as it's transitioned to online, page views is how we get graded. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get a lot of page views, then our futures are slim. But so we want people to go to the page and click on it and read it there. All right. There you go. Thanks, Shane. I'd love to have you back sometime. And uh, we'll see how this, uh, the articles go. And of course, we'll also follow along with, uh, with the cartoons and see where they go. Um, Hopefully you'll come back to us in a few years when you finally decided you can take a little bit of leisure time yeah. and talk with us. So. Thank you very much. Gary Varvel, thanks for being here. We uh, hope uh, if you missed any of this, there's an edit for you. If you miss any of this, you know, you can always uh, go online at wyrz.org. If you have any questions for Gary or me, you can always email me, shane at wyrz.org, and I'll uh, see if I can get in touch with Gary and answer any of those questions. Good. All right, Gary, thanks. Thank you. This has been Central Indiana Today, presented by the Kevin Kersey Agency on WYRZ. Hello, this is Kevin Kersey of the Kevin Kersey Agency. 
The Kevin Kersey Insurance Agency, a member of the Farmers Insurance Group, can help with home, life, auto, or business needs. Phone number is 317-286-3481. We can also be found on Facebook at the Kevin Kersey Agency or at our website, www.farmersagent.com forward slash kkersey. Walk-ins are always welcome at 480 East Northfield Drive, Suite 300 in Brownsburg. 